Welcome to Geopolitics Decanted. My name is Dimitri Alperovich. I'm chairman of Silverado Policy Accelerator, a geopolitics think tank in Washington, D.C. And I'm once again honored to welcome Sergei Grabsky, colonel in reserve in the Ukrainian military, who has participated as part of NATO operations in Kosovo and Iraq. Sergei, first, congratulations on a stunningly successful offensive that your country has just executed in the north, recapturing, I believe, something over 3,000 square kilometers of occupied territory. So how did it happen? Uh, was all the talk about the southern offensive in Kherson a feint, or um, is there actually two offensives, counteroffensives that are taking place right now? Uh, first of all, thank you very much indeed for congratulations. Yes, it's a huge achievement of Ukrainian armed forces and Ukrainian society in general, because of, you know, uh, such level of uh, unification of our society as we achieve right now, we didn't achieve it before. And uh, regarding that uh, offensive actions in a Kharkiv direction, you know, we always mention three main points on the map of Ukrainian-Russian war. And uh, there are the following. First of all, indeed, uh, we have a very intensive battle clashes in Donbass area where Russians try to uh, achieve the main strategic goal, uh, declared goal actually, as I said, to uh, to liberate, in, in brackets indeed, uh, territory of Donetsk and Lugansk Oblast and uh, pushing Ukrainian Nazis uh, from the territory of uh, Lugansk and uh, Donetsk People Republics. Second one, second one was the south direction, where uh, Ukraine had and has uh, has very important goal to push back Russians from the western bank of the river Dnieper, which will have uh, absolutely strategic consequences. So that in offensive the, in the south is real. That is not a feint, right? Uh, it is not. It is not. And the third one was always our Kharkiv direction. And uh, thinking about Kharkiv, there are two, there were and there are two main uh, targets for Ukrainian actions. Uh, it is not even about offensive action, but in general for Ukrainian actions uh, there. We are talking first of all about the pushing back of Russian troops from the positions near Kharkiv, which allowed them to to shell Kharkiv severely. And uh, as you know, the, uh, almost 90% of all uh, damages were damages of uh, civilian infrastructure and casualties of civilian people in most of the cases. And second one, second one... Uh, is about uh, cutting off communication lines uh, which supply and feed Russian forces uh, operated, now we can say operated in a zone of Izium. Why it was so important? Because of Izium group of Russian troops uh, make some threats for uh, Ukrainian positions in Slovyansk and Kramatorsk in general. Moreover, in a broader perspective against the Sivarsk also. With that regard, those three uh, d directions for Ukrainian armed forces were critically important. And uh, However, if you're talking about uh, Donetsk, it was quite clear that Ukrainian forces 
must keep their position in order to prevent and exhaust Russian forces attack, uh, prevent attacks and exhaust Russian forces trying to advance inside of the Donetsk territory. Our south direction. You, you, you know, uh, I have to say that the importance uh, and importance of the south direction uh, remains uh, remarkable. Why? Because of, you know, south direction in a general meaning, uh, uh, in general understanding means that uh, in case of Russian advance to the west, they would be able to cut off uh, all uh, supply chains and communications between mainland of Ukraine and the and our our partners in the Black Sea, in a broader perspective in the Mediterranean Sea. Moreover, it was uh, all of Ukrainian sea uh, Black Sea ports were, will be captured, and and Ukraine will be cut off from all uh, sea lines there. You're we talking, sh- of course, if the Russians had succeeded and. Taking yeah, Mikolaev and Odessa, which uh, absolutely they did not. Co- correct. Moreover, and Russian have declared it already that their main goal uh, was to get to the Transnistria, keeping in mind Moldova in general. And you know, as I mentioned several times before, not only here in this broad, uh, podcast, but don't forget about 30th of December as a hundred years anniversary of the creation of the Soviet Union. I'm quite confident that uh, deeply inside of Russian or Kremlin regime, there is an idea of declaration after a hundred years uh, restoration of the Soviet Union as a, let's say, result of uh, Russian efforts in, in all of those directions. And they had actually chance to do so. If uh, their offensive actions would be successful in Ukraine, they already have Belarus. So at least they, ha- uh, they have three, they could have three of the former Soviet republics. And uh, advances in Ukraine, I'm talking about Moldova, uh, will mean that Moldova will be also joined to the uh, new uh, restored Soviet Union. That is why South direction was still and will critically important. And uh, frankly speaking, frankly speaking, it is not clear uh, about what was the main goal of Ukrainian armed forces in, in this operation. Why? Because of such kind of operation, such scale of operation, does not mean that all con- uh, efforts will be concentrated in one direction. And uh, such kind of operation always means that it will be like a main direction, uh, additional directions, supportive directions, and um, this, uh, destructive directions also. And uh, it depends on the development of the situation uh, in which direction uh, success will be more or less remarkable and uh, achievable. And uh, now we see that the Russians were not ready to protect their positions in the Kharkiv regions, uh, in the Kharkiv region, in the in Lugansk region also. And that is why Ukrainian forces hiddenly concentrated quite big amount of troops. But uh, I, I have to repeat, quite big amount of troops. We can't uh, we can't compare uh, strengthen of Ukrainian forces with the Russian forces. 
and uh, that is why we can uh, we can talk about uh, maneuvers of Ukrainian forces. So it was like a flash attack which destroyed complete destroyed completely uh, Russian lines, defend li- defensive lines in the Kharkiv Oblast, and the quick advance of Ukrainian forces to the direction of Vovchansk, Veliky Borluk, Kupiansk, and Izum. Uh, fully destroyed communication between uh, mainland of Russia and uh, troops operating in uh, Izum directions, as we call it, against uh, Ukrainian forces in uh, Sever, excuse me, in Slovyansk and Kramatorsk. So it was like a double target operation, and uh, at this particular moment, we could say that uh, the, uh, this operation develops in a successful manner right now and uh, with that regard i may say that uh, some declarations some declarations of ukrainian uh, officials in uh, latest july beginning of august may have may had may had like a divert actions just to uh, recon, uh, re, uh, to force Russian, Russians to regroup troops from Donbass uh, direction to south direction. And you know, it is an interesting point that Russians uh, concentrated in uh, on the western ba- bank of the river Dnieper uh, something between 20 up to 25,000 troops. Then Ukrainian forces cut it off the lines of communication communications and uh, now that troop uh, those troops are in trap actually despite of the ability to continue uh, to continue defense uh, defensive action on the forehead uh, we call it Kherson forehead you're talking of course about the cutting off uh, the destroying of the bridges across the river right indeed, that prevents the indeed, supply indeed uh, which cut it uh, which decrease ability of uh, sustainment and supply of russian forces on the Western Bank of the Dnieper in 75%, which almost, well, not even almost fully exclude any attempts and any possibilities from Russian side to conduct any active offensive actions in the Western directions. So sometimes, if I'm allowed just to turn back to the military history, it was more or less a similar example of uh, German Nazi troops in the Second World War when Soviet army blocked uh, Nazis in the so-called Kurlandia, Kurland Peninsula, where they stuck and were blocked till the end of the Second World War in Europe. And uh, if I may, I, I would like to share that thought, uh, that example in the same situation. Now we have the situation when Russian troops uh, are blocked on the western bank of the river Dnieper, uh, and they are not able to withdraw because of political reason and political demands of Kremlin regime. And uh, from another side, they do not have any capabilities to withdraw. I am talking about the military uh, options. Uh, having that, we could say that uh, Ukrainian forces uh, try to solve two tasks there. Uh, minimum mini task uh, minimum task is uh, to block Russian troops there. Maximum task uh, to push them back and uh, surround them. We will see, and uh, I promise we will see how situation will develop in, uh, in that direction. Uh, I mean, Kherson direction. However, 
now all of our attention turns uh, to Kharkiv directions. But here, you know, uh, why uh, sometimes I said uh, I keep my very careful optimism over there because, you know, uh, Ukrainian forces are not unlimited also. And uh, we can't say that tomorrow we will see Ukrainian flags somewhere in uh, Troitsky, maybe Troitsky, yes, but in the Starobelsk or in the Krasnotalovka. Uh, I'm talking about the location. Krasnotalovka is a location near the, uh, actually not near, on the Ukrainian-Russian border uh, before uh, February 24th. Uh, Ukrainian forces have to be very careful to conduct such kind of uh, offensive actions because of, you know, Russians, don't forget, Russians still have uh, capabilities uh, in somehow to concentrate and try to repulse any Ukrainian actions. But, but in general, uh, I have to say that now we have an option when Ukrainian forces will try to exclude any attempts of Russians to attack uh, the city of Kharkiv by the MLRS. Uh, MLRS. We can't say that Russians will stop to use, uh, stop using uh, long-range missiles such as Iskander or renovated and uh, adjusted C-300, old-fashioned rocket missiles, but still very dangerous, but it is a huge impact. And it is not only impact from on the front in a military aspect, but it is a, uh, also a huge impact in a political uh, environment of Russian Federation because, you know, uh, I read today a lot of information coming from Russia and I found that a that have a huge level of disappointment about the Moscow and Kremlin regime right now. There were a lot of complaints and demands. Stop celebrating uh, the day of Moscow. Uh, turn all money to our soldiers. I'm talking about Russian soldiers and so on and so on. Uh, another option, which is uh, also simultaneously military and political option and impact, is about the uh, level of uh, morale of Russian forces. Uh, demoralized forces uh, retreating from the Kharkiv Oblast, from Lugansk Oblast, will share a pandemic of uh, demoralization uh, to other formations of our Russian army. Yes, in, in time, in, in some in sometimes Russian will rebuild it because they know how to do that. But right now, we are talking about the high level of uh, demoralization of Russian troops there. Do you do so you think that the Russians are capable of a, any counterattacks in the near future in the Kharkiv area to try to retake the, the lost territory? You know, yes. You know, yes, and we have to be ready for, for that because of, you know, right now, I, I, I could say it is impossible, but right now means one or two weeks maybe. Uh, but in in spring, who knows? Uh, who knows? Russians would be able to counterattack. Why in spring? Because you know their losses, confirmed losses, even from Russian side, means that they will need to take a lot of efforts to restore and rebuild their military capabilities. Uh, what I mean in uh, with that regard, it's about even uh, preparation of so-called specialists. You know, 
the war, uh, the war in twenty first century is not like an infantry war where li uh, lines of uh, infantry uh, running on the fields trying to capture a defense position of uh, opposite side. Now it's a uh, we are talking about the war twenty first century when where. Uh, armament, equipment, machines actually play a huge role. But machines and uh, other equipment will need operators. But to prepare operators such as like a tank, a tank driver and tank crew in general will need at least three three months. Three months as, as a minimum. And you can imagine if we will uh, think about artillery systems, anti-aircraft system and other systems. They need to restore their capabilities, and restoration of those capabilities will strongly demand additional time, time, uh, time at least for three, maybe four months. But after that, after that, if uh, nothing will happen in Russia, but but you know, Russia is quite uh, unpredictable state. If nothing will happen there, so they would be able just to try to resume uh, offensive or, well, let's say, counter-offensive action to the territory of Ukraine. So that is why that is why right now Ukrainian forces must do their best just to liberate as uh, much territory as they could. But at the same time, uh, as I said, despite of uh, such an aphoria in Ukrainian uh, offensive troops uh, and in, in Ukrainian society, we have to be very careful, keep in mind uh, quite limited capabilities to not to capture, but to keep liberated uh, lands under control. Were you surprised, Sergei, by the rapid collapse of the Russian forces? Uh, it seemed quite uh, an orderly and um, very hasty retreat that was made uh, in some cases even before the contact with the Ukrainian troops. You know, no, absolutely not. Because, you know, first of all, why I'm not surprised? First of all, remember, Russian tactics and uh, operational art based on Soviet style. And Soviet style uh, demands a huge presence of troops in defensive lines and uh, even a grouping of attacking troops. But if you will glance over the strength of Russian troops operating in all Ukrainian-Russian front, you will see very, very weak positions and big gaps between uh, different uh, units uh, on the front line. This is the first option. And the second one, there, are, there were now, sorry, <laughs> there were no second echelon, uh, which task is to ensure stability of the front line. So with that regard, uh, Ukrainians use that weakness of Russian positions uh, in that directions and uh, uh, quite limited number of troops in that directions. Uh, as I said before, they concentrated in a near uh, in a near uh, locations a huge amount of forces, and they simply break and cut off and divide uh, that very weak and uh, very weak and thin uh, defensive lines. And that, that defensive lines, it, my understanding is, was mostly comprised of Rusguardia, which is basically you know cops with tanks and and. LNR conscripts who don't have high morale either or high levels of training, right? So there were not a lot of regular troops in that region. Is that yeah. correct? 
Absolutely, absolutely. Because of you know, we have discussed already that uh, Ukrainian uh, Ukrainian uh, officials declared possible uh, counteroffensive action in the south directions, and it still looks necessary and important. But Russians immediately reacted to that and deployed their most powerful and most operatable troops. Twenty thousand troops uh, must be moved from one location to another one, and they did it. And you, uh, you definitely right uh, mentioning that uh, the quite big number of troops located in uh, Kharkiv Oblast, uh, where Russian guards, volunteer battalions, uh, and uh, mobilized conscripted uh, personnel—I can't call them soldiers, unfortunately—for them. Uh, mobilized personnel from the Lugansk and Donetsk uh, so-called People Republics. And why do you think, is, is this correct or not, but um, I've heard a lot of pe- people comment that they were surprised that the Russian Air Force did not try to play a bigger role in trying to thwart um, this offensive. Is that truly the case, or um, what, was there more air activity? And if there wasn't, why do you think that is? Well, you know, uh, if you will uh, glance in the history of Russian Air Force, we will see and uh, it is true, Russian Air Force did not conduct in their history any significant operation. I mean, Air Force operation, uh, you know, significant means something uh, in a scale of uh, uh, United States or United Kingdom Air Force uh, operations. Moreover, the density of anti-aircraft system of Ukrainian forces significantly increased since the beginning of active phase of that war. And if you will uh, see statistics and analyze statistics, you will find or uh, you will find that over the last four months, now even five months, there were no even one. Uh, significant air uh, strikes uh, inside of the territory of Ukraine and inside of the zone where a Ukrainian anti-aircraft system operates. Russian Russian Air Force are able now just to launch rockets from the distance which exclude attack of Ukrainian anti-aircraft systems. Russian could do their bombing only in a front line, not in a deep of uh, Ukrainian positions or Ukrainian uh, zones of advances. And uh, moreover, uh, if you will see, Russian Air Force did not conduct uh, attack in a big groups. So even in Syria, where they, were, uh, they are kings of air, uh, they operate in pairs not in a big squadrons or units, but in pairs. With that regard, having a huge losses in, the, in personnel and the airplanes uh, on the beginning of our war, our active phase of the war, Russians quite carefully used uh, the air forces and uh, it is an additional option why they did not use it there. Critical absence of coordination between army and air forces, air force. It is a permanent and chronical, chronic uh, weakness of uh, Russian military machine. It happened every time. 
no coordination and cooperation between um, uh, between different branches of armed forces there. Yeah, they're quite bad at close air support. How much equipment did they abandon in this hasty retreat, and how many POWs um, have the Ukrainians captured? There's a lot of pictures coming out on social media about lots of tanks and um, armored uh, fighting vehicles and, and other uh, equipment that seems to have been um, taken over by the Ukrainians. Uh, any any uh, chance you can quantify that for us? Was it significant numbers or um, or not? You know, uh, I can't say uh, about exact numbers, but uh, our officials uh, now, because of that operation is not over at the, at the moment, that is why I wouldn't be surprised to see more and more armament, equipment, uh, ammunition and materials captured by Ukrainian forces. But now our careful assessment uh, allowed us to say that the Ukrainian forces captured uh, such a big amount of, uh, of uh, equipment, uh, armament and uh, materials, uh, which may be comparable with the uh, amount of uh, equipment materials offered by one block of support, let's say. So is so Russia becoming one of your top uh, providers of military equipment? Indeed, indeed. Indeed, because, you know, uh, if I'm not mistaken, only in case of uh, tanks and armored vehicles, Ukrainian armed forces before that operation captured something about 300 pieces of uh, such uh, armament and equipment. Now, uh, based on pictures and other information, so we would be able to create new uh, uh, tank uh, companies, I guess. And uh, many of our infantry, mechanized infantry detachment will be reinforced by the Russian equipment which is, uh, and the armament, which is quite uh, well known by Ukrainian forces. So Ukrainians now would be able just to turn the weapon against uh, former masters of that weapon. Did, did the Russians try to blow the bridges across the river as they were retreating or... Did they just yeah. run so fast that they didn't even try to do that? It depends. In some directions, such as in some directions, they blew it up. Uh, however, not uh, not everywhere, because you know uh, their main task is to retreat, simply to retreat, uh, leave uh, leave without support, collaborant, uh, collaborate uh, people who collaborated with the Russians, and there there is another aspect of that operation why they did not explode many bridges over there. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we have to understand that uh, now uh, rivers and uh, other water reservoirs become a quite significant obstacles uh, obstacle for Ukrainian forces also, because now uh, Ukrainian forces must cross it. So you know, Sergey, when we last talked, one of the things that uh, you said that really. Um, surprised me uh, was how U Ukrainian military has not conducted a lot of training for offensive operations in the last 30 years since the fall of the Soviet Union. And yet this operation was executed uh, masterfully with, uh, you know, effective use of armor and infantry. Um, so has, has the situation on the training side improved significantly for Ukrainian forces? Is the training that NATO is providing helping quite a bit in that area? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, over the last few months, we had like a, 
a series of exercises and training. Actually, actually, Ukrainian headquarters did it permanently, despite of significant serious pressure of Russian forces in Donbas region. Ukrainian forces did a lot of trainings with incredible, I can say, incredible support of NATO through NATO advisors and United States support and United Kingdom support, which allowed them to conduct such kind of operation. However, however, uh, I have to confirm my message about the lack of training because of if you will gl- if we will glance on the uh, level of that operation, we will see that uh, those operation, uh, those operations uh, such as Kharkiv operation and uh, South operation uh, is conducted by quite uh, small number of troops. Mm-hmm. We are talking about three, five brigades, which is uh, in a traditional scale means uh, like uh, two divisions which is a very limited operational offensive action. So it's, uh, that is why I'm quite careful in my uh, forecast about the development of the situation. So is it fair so to say that most of the Ukrainian forces are still focused in the south, in the Kherson front? Uh, not actually. No? Not actually because, you know, uh, having such a success in the Kharkiv directions and clearly understanding that the Russians will will uh, try to recapture those lands, uh, we have to deploy additional troops there from our reserves, you know. And uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, we can't make our other directions, such as uh, Chernigiv direction, Sumy direction, or even Belarus direction. So we could deploy a very limited number of troops. But as I said, uh, as I said, um, uh, such a uh, this, this deployment this deployment will not mean that uh, Ukrainian forces will will not concentrate their efforts on the south direction. It's too like different directions and uh, understanding uh, keep uh, having understanding of uh, importance of south direction also uh, depending on the development of uh, offensive actions in the Kharkiv region. I would say that uh, you remember I told about so-called uh, minimum level, uh, minimum task and maximum task. So uh, to block Russian troops, we will not need a huge amount of troops. To block them on the uh, left bank of the river Dnieper. Without, without compromising, of course, any operational security, what can you say about the morale and supplies uh, and the strength of the Ukrainian forces now in that Kharkiv region, uh, you know, it w- was obviously not a cost-free operation, and we've seen some of the casualties that, unfortunately, Ukrainian forces have taken as a result it, of it. But um, uh, how how would you describe the state of the force there now? You know, you know, at this particular moment, having such a success, uh, Ukrainian society, Ukrainian society, and uh, army as a, uh, armed forces as a part of that uh, of the society, or now we uh, we call it defensive force forces uh, accept those uh, losses accept those losses because you know liberation of our territory liberation and say lives of our citizens uh, has a price and the Ukrainian society now understands that, uh, that we have to pay that price and you know uh, this 
success add a fuel in our engine of war to liberate our lands now and uh, that is why we are talking a high level of morale of Ukrainian armed forces uh, as a part of Ukrainian society and Ukrainian society in general and also uh, also I would like to say that um, you know there were some talks about their non-sufficient using of weapons uh, provided by our Western allies. But now it is an additional point in our chat. I would like to say that uh, these, uh, these active actions and uh, effective actions of Ukrainian forces add some confidence, uh, confidence uh, for supply providers. And uh, now Ukraine's uh, Ukrainian defense forces uh, prove the ability to manage and op- uh, use effectively new types of the weapon, and uh, that is why we we could say that the level of morale of our Western uh, allies uh, also increase increases. You, you know. Uh... I follow very closely the various bloggers and telegrammers uh, um, on the Russian side, and they're just in absolute panic over the last two days. And they're talking about how the Ukrainians can move forward now and take Lysychansk back and some of the other cities in the Donbass. Uh, do you think that's that's realistic at this point? That yeah, that absolutely. The entire Russian front yes. can collapse. Y- y- you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, we are talking about location, which. Uh, previously called Lysychansk and Severodonetsk. What was the biggest mistake of Russians doing uh, those offensive actions? They completely destroyed that lands and they uh, completely destroyed means they, they are not able, they were not and they are not able to build a real defensive line there. So it's like a, a moonlight, a mo- excuse me, moon uh, moon land over there and uh, R- uh, Russians are not able to keep those positions. That is why, you know, I wouldn't be surprised tomorrow morning to read and use that Ukrainian forces re- uh, liberated. We can't use recaptured. Liberated severed, uh, Lysychansk at least and uh, possibly Severodonetsk. Possibly because of uh, Severodonetsk located on another side of the river Siversky Donetsk. And, you know, I just saw a note from Girkin, who I'm sure you know of, uh, who is saying that uh, there could even be an attack towards the Azov Sea uh, all the way to Mariupol, that the Russian forces in that region uh, near Pologi in Zaporizhia and Gulaipole in Zaporizhia are quite weak, just like they were in Kharkiv Oblast. Do, do you think that's a possibility as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I always mention that the south direction uh, not only Kherson direction, uh, South direction in general meaning reminds, uh, reminds critically important for us, not only to cut off uh, any attempts of uh, Russian advances to the West, uh, but also to cut so-called uh, ground corridor or land corridor from Russia to Crimea. And Mariupol, uh, excuse me, Melitopol, not Mariupol, but Mar- uh, Melitopol, uh, with that regard, uh, play a key role in in uh, in the development of the situation because of uh, Ukraine. If Ukrainian forces will capture Melitopol and then advance to the uh, Azov Sea coast, 
we can say that the so-called land corridor collapsed, Russian forces divided, and uh, those forces who will re uh, which will remain in uh, so-called northern Tavre region, I'm talking about left bank uh, part of Kherson Oblast and part of Zaporizhia Oblast, will be very and very weak and they, they would be uh, pressed to withdraw to Crimea. And it will be another huge impact. That is why, yes, Girkin quite clear and he is right in most cases uh, talking about the weakness of Russian positions in the south directions. Because, you know, I didn't remember, did I tell you uh, that uh, visual visualization which we normally use, so-called wet sugar. No? No. Uh, you know, in uh, summer houses here in Ukraine, uh, we have quite serious issue with ants, insects. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, old school people did not use like a chemical uh, detergents. They used sugar, wet sugar, to put piece of wet sugar in one or couple locations uh, in the house or near the house, uh, which attract uh, ants to that location. So then you could simply uh, move that wet sugar with the ants and destroy them and kill them. Mm -hmm. So the same situation, uh, if I may, uh, I can say the same situation we have in case of Donetsk and uh, Donbass in general and the uh, Kherson direction where ants, or Russians, concentrated their efforts in two main locations, in Donbass and uh, Kherson directions. Uh, and they uh, leave other locations abandoned, almost abandoned, uh, or with the weak, very weak positions and uh, very limited number of troops. As we, as we had the development of the situation in Kharkiv regions, we can't exclude... Uh, the same actions and same development in the south directions also. South direction, not only Kherson, but in, in, in northern Tavra directions from uh, Vasilivka, Pologi in, uh, to Melitopol and down to Kirillovka and Kirillivka and Berdyansk in the south direction. Because of, uh, if, let me, let me guess, I, I can mistake, uh, I can mistake, uh, but uh, at the beginning of summer, uh, on the location of the Ukrainian-Russian front from Vasilivka to Veliki Novosilki, there were something about six, maybe seven battalion tactical groups of Russian forces, which is incredibly limited number. Because it's a that huge area, why, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, for your understanding, one battalion, uh, according to the Russian manuals, may defend the section of front about three kilometers. So seven battalions in, in general, okay, let's have like a 30 kilometers only, but not two or maybe even 400 kilometers. You can imagine what is a... Uh, concentration of Russian troops uh, we have there. That is why I wouldn't be surprised to see that tomorrow or day after tomorrow when Russian forces will almost use uh, the main part of their ammunition, Ukrainians will start offensive actions in that direction. Uh, 
which also makes sense. Fascinating, the wet sugar uh, approach. Um, two more questions, Sergey, and I'll let you go. I know it's very late now in Kiev, so really appreciate you taking the time to explain this to our audience. But first, to go back to some of the things we saw last month in Crimea, there's a lot of speculation and uh, amateur analysis of these strikes that occurred on Saki Air Base that destroyed uh, a squadron of naval aviation, um, Russian aviation there, and a number of other strikes that impacted logistical supply lines into Kherson Oblast from Crimea. Um, any, any thoughts from you on what caused this? People are speculating that it may have been long-range missiles, it may have been kamikaze drones uh, setting off explosives and ammunition dumps. Do you have your own theory? My theory is uh, we are talking about missiles. Right. We are talking mostly about missiles because of analysis of available video materials uh, make me confident uh, in the most of cases there were missiles. And you think that this means that Western partners have provided long-range missiles to Ukraine? Yep. Very interesting. Moreover, you know, uh, there were a couple uh, news came maybe a few days before those operations. For instance, uh, United States representative mentioned that they uh, deployed some anti-radar missiles to Ukrainian armed forces. Then, then uh, it was quite interesting uh, news about that uh, about the Ukrainian uh, engineers were able to adjust those missiles to uh, MiG-29 uh, fighters. Yeah. Those are the harm missiles to target Russian air defenses. Correct, correct. Yeah. Th- this is my point because, you, you know, what is a strong uh, side of Russians? KGB or uh, as, uh, St- FSB now. So they have a very well-developed network of uh, counter, uh, counter-intelligence actions and uh, counter-terrorist actions. They have a huge experience uh, coming from Chechnya and other regions. That is why I'm very doubtful about possibility and consideration uh, regarding using of our saboteurs group of partisans operating in all of those locations. Moreover, if you are talking uh, about Saki, uh, results and uh, features of uh, strikes shows and uh, make me confident about using of missiles. There there was uh, another piece of news that came out uh, a few days ago from the New York Times. I'm not sure if you saw that story that Russia is purchasing uh, artillery shells and rockets from North Korea. And this combined with uh, what we now know about their raids of the Belarus ammo depots over the last uh, three or four months. Um, what does that tell you? Do you think this means that Russians, contrary to all the beliefs uh, at the time of the uh, invasion, actually does not have years worth of uh, artillery ammo and that they may be running low? Uh, do you think that's a possibility? You know, you know, uh, you remember my statement that Russia, Russia did not prepare, uh, did not make any um, preparation for such uh, war as they got in Ukraine. Uh, that is why, that is why they almost exhausted their nearest war houses. Nearest, I mean that uh, they need just to uh, 
uh, recheck and uh, recalibrate, if I may, uh, those storages of ammunition. And uh, right now we have uh, an information. It 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 is not a new info. It is not new information because in 2014 we had the same situation with both sides of the conflict. I am talking about Ukraine and Russia. That almost 40 percent of ammunition, 40 percent of ammunition did not explode. Forty so, percent was faulting. Forty percent, four zero. Forty percent of ammunition did not explode. So that is why uh, efficiency of uh, Russian shelling uh, decreases day by day, decreases day by day, and uh, it is uh, it is an explanation why Russians looking for additional ammunition support from Belarus, and uh, I would be not surprised to see uh, North Korea ammunition because of North Korea. Uh, actually, uh, over the last f- how many seventy years, permanently do their best to be prepared for the war. So they have a uh, much higher level of readiness of their ammunition than Russian have. Uh, Russians have. Well, Sergey, it is always a pleasure. Thank you so much again. Congratulations on your country's and your military Thank success you. uh, this week, and uh, best of luck to you and your forces. Thank you very much. We will continue our best to do our best to liberate our lands. And I, I, would, I would be happy to invite you somehow and sometimes in, in my lovely Crimea when it will be liberated. Thank you.